If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter 2. We want to look at verses 1 through uh, 13. We've been doing this mini-series in Acts chapter 1 and now in Acts chapter 2. At the beginning of the church, uh, we're looking at part 4. And so it's just been a beautiful time uh, looking at the beginning of the church. Now, we're coming from the time of the Old Testament, uh, the sacrifices of the animals and such. And now we know, as John uh, the Baptist proclaimed, when he saw Jesus uh, coming into the Jordan Valley, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, becomes the complete sacrifice. Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, becomes our last high priest. And so, as he has done the work, the Father has sent him. And now, in the book of Acts, the preparation, the promise, back in, in the Gospel of John, if you were with us, Jesus kept indicating concerning the promise of the Holy Spirit. And now, in Acts chapter 2, we begin to see it. Jesus promised his disciples that he had to leave. He had to depart from this world and go back to his rightful place in heaven, at the right hand of majesty, next to the Father. In order for the promise to come, that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. We have three distinct persons in the Godhead. Three distinct persons, one God. And so it's important to see this. The Holy Spirit is not an essence. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not an it or a thing. But the Bible specifically teaches that the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. And so the promise is going to be fulfilled here. Leave a marker real quick and turn with me to the Gospel of John. Flip back a few pages. John chapter 14 and look at verses 15 through 18. Jesus uh, speaks about this promise uh, to his disciples, another helper. But that helper could not come. It's called the parakletos. It's called the Holy Spirit. He could not come unless Jesus first departs. And so in verse 15, uh, I want you to see this now. He's been sharing with his disciples. They don't fully understand. The Holy Spirit was very selective in the Old Testament. But now, after the book of Acts in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has been made available uh, to all that ask. And so even this morning, as you're sitting and receiving the Word of God, they were the 120 in the upper room, and they were sitting, and the Holy Spirit came. But notice the promise here. John 14, look at verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We're to keep his word daily, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you, listen to what he says, another comforter, another helper. It's called a parakletos, that he may abide with you. The word to abide, that he will stay with you forever. In verse 17, of the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because neither, it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you. Now, here... In this particular verse, in verse 17, we see the two prepositions of the work of the Spirit in my life. And then you have to go to Acts chapter 1, 
verse 8, and you see the third preposition. And so stay with me here. But you know him, speaking of the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you. The word with you, para. This is how we came to saving grace. The Holy Spirit came alongside of me. The Holy Spirit came alongside of you. And as people prayed for you, as your mom prayed for you, as my mom did, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes. And then secondly, after the conviction, I reach out to the Lord. He says he'll be with you, and then he will be in you. The Greek word is en, in you. That happens when we receive Christ. That happens at the born-again experience. But it's the third preposition that we're going to be speaking about here uh, this morning. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, flip back real quick and just take a look at that. But you shall receive power, the word is dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's the third preposition. It's the EP experience, E-P-I. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses uh, to me, Jesus is speaking, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. This is our Jerusalem. Las Cruces, New Mexico, wherever you live, that's your Jerusalem. You're to be a witness. You're to be a testimony of God's love, of God's grace, God's mercy as we share with others. And then we take it to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so the gospel continues to spread even today. Now, concluding John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you orphans, Jesus says, but I will come to you. Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. But in order for the Holy Spirit to come, he must first leave. And so Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. There was a 40-day post-resurrection and then the ascension that we read in Acts chapter 1. And now the Holy Spirit would come as promised, as prophesied. And we'll deal with that next week in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. Listen to this. Approximately 800 years before Christ. And so here we are, uh, 2,800 years later, the Holy Spirit is here. But the preparation here, the New Testament church will begin in Acts chapter 2. But it could not start. The Holy Spirit uh, falls on Pentecost, but it could not start until Jesus ascended into heaven. And so here we read, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And that's what we're going to deal with this morning. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. As we come to saving grace, we need the P experience. On your own, if you're taking notes, go back and study Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And unity is going to take place, the 120, in the upper room. They were in the same mind. They were in the same heart. They were in the same type of prayer, waiting patiently as God gave them direction. And there in Psalm 133, they were anointing Aaron as the high priest, and they poured the oil on top of his head. And the Bible says it ran through his beard. And it ran through his clothing. It saturated him and going down to his feet. 
That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's the picture. Para, he's come alongside and convicted me. And so I respond and I receive Christ. He comes into my life. But a lot of Christians deny uh, the AP experience. Oh, that was apostolic age. It doesn't happen today. Why not? I could not be up here preaching and teaching if the Holy Spirit hasn't taken over my life. You could not be an effective witness. That's what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be an effective witness. Yes, we're going to see that the early church spoke in tongues. They spoke in unknown languages. Very clear. There's about 17, 18 dialects, and they heard in their own tongue the wonderful works of God according to verse 11. And so let's go back to our text now, and let's begin here in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, the beginning of the church. This is part 4. When the day of Pentecost, verse, uh, verse 1 now, Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. At Pentecost now, the first fruits were celebrated of the wheat harvest. They were given to God. Therefore, Pentecost is called the day of first fruits, the day of harvest, and we give it to the Lord. Back in Numbers chapter 28, verse 26, listen to what I read here in the New Living Translation. At the festival of harvest, when you present the first of your a new grain to the Lord, you must call an official day for a holy assembly, and you may do no ordinary work on that day. And so here, here's the New Testament now. Here's a new work through the Holy Spirit. As he's poured out, he starts something new. But church, it's not over yet. Yes, we go to the last page in the book of Acts, and we see the conclusion of Acts chapter 28. But in all reality, for the last 2,000 years, Acts 29 is going on. You're part of Acts 29. And so we keep going. Let me give you some points here. Jewish tradition taught that Pentecost commemorated the day when the law was given to Israel. The Jews sometimes called Pentecost Shemachath uh, Torah, or the joy of the Lord. Another point, on the Old Testament day of Pentecost, Israel received the law, and on the New Testament day of Pentecost, the church received the Holy Spirit, the spirit of grace and fullness. Now, I love that tradition. We know that the law was given, but now we need the power of the Holy Spirit as he leads us, as he guides us uh, into all truth. Now, again, we're still in verse 1. Notice that the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, the 120 are in the upper room. They're all in one accord. And listen to the translation in the Greek. They're all in one mind. They're all in one unity, and that's Psalm 133. And they're waiting. They're waiting patiently in one place. They were gathered together, sharing the same heart, the same love for God, the same trust in his promise, waiting patiently. Now, I want you to see something. Then they were waiting for the last 800 years. Come on, Lord, pour out your spirit. Some of them had to know the teaching in Joel, but yet the spirit hadn't fallen. But for us, the Spirit has already fallen. And if the Spirit's already fallen, why don't we ask? 
You see, the first two prepositions will work in your life, or else you're not born again of the Holy Spirit. But the third preposition, it's there. And all we have to do is to tap into it. Here's a keynote. Before we can be filled, we must recognize our emptiness. By gathering together for prayer, in obedience, these 120 disciples, men and women, are in the upper room. They're doing just that. They recognize they did not have the resources in themselves to do what they were going to be called to do. They had to rely upon the work of God, as we do, even here today. In all reality, I can't do what I do by myself. In all reality, you cannot do what you do on your own strength, your own flesh. We might have all the education, and praise God for that. But do we have the power of God's Spirit? I'm speaking to the church. Neither can you on your strength or your flesh. I need his power. You need his power. I need that the Holy Spirit would lead me and guide me uh, into all truth. And, and we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to see the picture. 120 in this upper room. And we're going to get into the text. And you're going to see that they were all Galileans. They were the lesser speech. They were the uneducated they were the farmers. They were the uh, fishermen. They were not the religious sect. They were not the San, San, Sanhedrin, that is. If I can use the phrase, they were simpletons. And yet they spoke in authority because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 2 now, back in Acts chapter 2. And suddenly... Uh, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, there in this upper room. Listen to the translation. Uh, suddenly a sound from heaven. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was of God. Uh, then a rushing mighty wind uh, filling the whole house. Uh, listen to the Greek. The word filling, uh, crammed full with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I would have to say in that upper room there was a, a thickness. There was a presence. There was an authority there. And you knew it. It's the Holy Spirit. He's come. And there has to be a fear. They don't quite know how to take it. This has a connection now. Listen to this. With this fact, both of the Hebrew and the Greek language, of the word for spirit, as we speak of the Holy Spirit, is the word pneuma uh, in the Greek. Uh, but when we look at the Hebrew, it speaks of the breath or the wind. It's, it's called the ruach. And here the sound from heaven is the sound of the Holy Spirit being poured out on, on the disciples. The disciples were empty. But now they're filled. One more point to make. As the Holy Spirit fell in the early church, they were all sitting. Notice they were all sitting just like you this morning. They're not standing. Their hands are not lifted up. Uh, they weren't told to open their mouth. They weren't told to make some, some utterances. And I'm, I'm speaking to you from experience. Because I've gone to a lot of meetings and, and trying and looking for the Holy Spirit back in the day. 
And I've been, you know, gotten a hold of. They've shaken me. They put oil on me. They've slapped me in the head. And, you know, I wanted to speak in tongues. That's what I was looking for. But God will give you gifts. When I found out later that the speaking of tongues, it's the least of the gifts. But it's a prayer language between you and God. It's not prophecy, thus saith the Lord. But it's speaking of the wonderful works of God. And we will see that as we continue. There is nothing that I can do to make the Spirit fall upon me. Listen, all I have to do is ask. I ask by faith, Lord, fill me. You're sincere with God, he's going to be sincere with you. Now, I believe it was a signed tongue that they had to receive these 120 in the early church because they had to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so look at verse 3 with me now. And then there appeared to them a divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. The 120. I want you to think, what's going on? They're all looking around. Each one has, has these cloven tongues of fire on their head. There's this thickness. There's this uh, power that's there. And they're just sitting. They're dumbfounded. But the Spirit of God was coming upon them. The Spirit of God was coming upon them. The translation here in verse 13, the divided tongues as a fire appearing over each one. Very unusual, and I have to agree. For us, maybe, but let's connect it with John the Baptist. Prophecy that Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Turn back with me real quick. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation again. They were coming to John the Baptist there in the Jordan Valley. He's baptizing in the Jordan for the remission of sins. But John knew it was not him. They were asking him, are you the Messiah? Are you the promise that was to come? They're waiting. Some of them knew the scriptures. But listen, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, Jesus or John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water and those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I. He's speaking about Jesus. So much greater than I, not worthy even uh, to, to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's the promise that Jesus has been giving them. Wait, the Holy Spirit would come. The promise of the Spirit, he told them. And so the text is so beautiful. In verse 3, again, I love that John recognized his inability and desperate need of God and his power. There in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I love that when I came to Saving Grace over 35 years ago, I knew that I needed a Savior. I was tired. I was running for three years. I thank God that he saved me. And then to add icing to the cake, as they said, he filled me with his spirit. And he gave me such a love and such a compassion and such a desire for his word. And honestly, church, I didn't know. 
I just wanted to receive more. And God was pouring out his spirit there in the Jesus movement. He's still pouring it out today. I'm hoping and praying that there'll be another uh, outpouring of God's spirit. It'll be so evident in all the churches before the rapture of the church. There's a lot of people in church today claim to be Christian, claim to be born again, but you see no fire. You see no spirit. You see no unction. We see people leaving the church. We see people say, well, I got water baptized. Oh, they anointed me with oil. I'm done. I'm good. I have carte blanche uh, to get to heaven. Be careful. Be careful. We need his agape love, and we need his dunamis power. Jesus said, you will know them. You will know them by their love. And those of you that have been in the church long enough, God gets a hold of you. Man, I had a lot of hatred back in the day. You would have never caught me going to share the gospel in the jail, in the streets, in the prisons. My family asked, well, are you going to the prison? Did you do something wrong? I said, no, I'm sharing the gospel. And back in 1980, when I went to Tehachapi State Prison, that's where I met Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark's been coming out here and, and doing outreach for us for the last 15 plus years. Only through the power of God's love can we do any of this. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 4. And they were all filled. Underline that. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The 120 now, uh, the disciples, men and women in the upper room were sitting. I always like to make that emphasis. They were waiting patiently. And then they were filled. They were crammed full with the Holy Spirit of promise. Uh, the promise of the prophecy of Joel chapter 2. We'll deal more with that next week. They began to speak with other tongues. The word is glossa. And so it was plural. They began to speak in, in different glossolalia. And they spoke in foreign languages, unheard of by those in Jerusalem. How? As the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Listen to the Greek. Uh, the word utterance, the Holy Spirit gave them uh, to declare plainly. In other words, those hearing would hear and discern the words uh, clearly and plainly in their tongue. In their tongue. I was telling uh, some of the guys in our church and the girls, we have prayer in the morning here. And I said, pray for the teaching. And I want you to think, if you've ever been to a foreign country and somebody's speaking their language and you say, whoa, what's going on here? Back in the 90s, we had gone uh, to Germany. Then we took trains and we went all the way up to uh, St. Petersburg. We were in Russia. We were in Moscow. We were there in Times Square, or Red Square. Times Square is the other one. <laughs> Too many squares. <laughs> and I remember trying to get on, uh, you know, the train system, trying to get on, uh, you know, the bus system, uh, even uh, hailing a, a taxi. And the communication was awful. I mean, you're trying to explain something. I don't know if you've ever seen Russian lettering. Well, we read this way. 
and they read the other way. And then the diagrams, they're stick people to me. And so finally, after a couple of days of struggling, and all we could do was point to brochures, we finally found a lawyer that knew just enough English. And it was so beautiful. So I want you to think here. These were speaking in unknown tongues. Uh, the tongues, and we're going to see about 17 different or 18 different uh, dialects. What did they hear? The key is not a prophecy. The key is found in verse 11. They heard the wonderful works of God. They heard the praises of God. Listen, in their own language. One commentary said, they began to speak with other tongues in response to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Those present, not only the 12 apostles began to speak with other tongues, but those present. These were the languages that they were never taught and that they spoke these languages, this as the Spirit gave them the utterance that others would know that others would know. Listen to Pastor Chuck's take here. The Holy Spirit gives us the power uh, to live the life of God, wants us to live. Here the Holy Spirit gives us uh, the ability uh, to speak in tongues, and he gives us the ability, and this is very important, uh, to control it. I can speak loudly, or I can speak softly. I can control it. So can you, and we have to be careful because emotions take over. And trust me, in 35 years, I've seen everything, and I've heard everything. And I've had people tell me, I, I can't stop. Yes, you can. God gives you that ability, but, but they get caught up. And, they just, and then people, outsiders, non-believers, see that. They say, you guys are nuts. Why should I go that avenue? Story, and I shared it with you before years ago. Lady was baptized in the Holy Spirit back home in her church. She gave testimony of it later. She couldn't stop, she said. And so her church sends her home with a sign I'm filled with the Spirit. That's why I'm talking like this. She said the UPS man came to her door and heard a couple of syllables from her, and he's gone. She never got that package, as far as I know. It's a prayer language. Listen, between you and God, it's a prayer language, and it can be a control. But so many people get caught up into these things. Now, I believe, here's my take, uh, in speaking in tongues, that it's a prayer language between you and God. Here in Acts chapter 2, the others that heard, listen, they heard a sign tongue in their own personal language to discern God's wonderful works. God's wonderful works. And see, I've been to camp meetings and such in the past, and somebody will get up over here and speak in an unknown tongue, and then we wait for an interpretation, and somebody stands up over here, and the, the tongue that was spoken, maybe 20 seconds. And here the interpretation goes on for two or three minutes. Something's wrong. And that's where a good leader has to come in and say, you know what, you need to sit down. I like what Pastor Chuck said years ago and never forgot it. 
You know the Holy Spirit gets blamed for a lot of things he didn't do? Because of what's the first reaction? What's your problem? How come? Why are you speaking? It's the Holy Ghost, man. It's a prayer language between you and God. But obviously something was going on. It was a sign tongue to those that are going to be mentioned here. Uh, look at verse 5 now. Let's go back to our text. The crowds respond. The crowds respond. How many people were there outside the upper room? They're there in Jerusalem. They're probably in the courtyard there somewhere close to the temple. And word traveled fast. Word traveled fast. Look at verse 5. And, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And so listen to the translation here. They were all there for the feast day, the celebration of harvest, the celebration of first fruit, or as we mentioned earlier, because it's all the same, the celebration of Pentecost. Let me give you some insight here. How many people could have been there? Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes that uh, easily in Jerusalem at this time, anywhere from one to two million people could have been there. You see, there are seven feast days that are celebrated. Uh, three of those, as a Jew, you had to go to Jerusalem. And so that was Passover, it was Pentecost, and it was Tabernacles. And so the square would have been filled. The temple would have been filled. People from every nation then that were coming to celebrate Pentecost. Notice that it says Jews and devout men. The Greek speaks of devout men, religious, pious men. Men and women from every known nation, they come to celebrate the feast of Passover. They had to have heard the mighty, the mighty wind, the rushing mighty wind. They had to hear the 120 speaking in tongues. Voices carry. You have 120 people. There's no windows. Everything's open. There's a little chapel they're in that vicinity, and we go there when we go to Israel. It's called St. Anne's. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful little chapel. And the acoustics, listen, the acoustics are powerful. Powerful. And you go in there, and, and Pastor Charlie from El Paso, a beautiful voice, and he just starts to lead us in a song, a song that we all know. And the crescendo of it all reaches the heavens. And people going by, they can hear it because of the acoustics. So the people that were outside, look at verse 6 now. And when this sound occurred, when this sound occurred, unheard of, unusual, right? The multitude, they came together and were confused, perplexed, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. A crowd quickly gathers, many of them, being attracted by the sound, which was either the sound of the rushing mighty wind or the sound of the speaking in other languages, other tongues. Uh, they heard these believers now uh, speaking in their own foreign languages. They could be heard from the windows of the upper room or uh, they could have gone out into the balcony area because it was an upper room or into the temple courts themselves. Either way, many heard them. And again, I want you to think about it. It's unusual. 
What are they speaking of? And some could have easily said, oh, come on, they're mad. But yet somebody that heard some of the language that said, hey, that's my language. They're speaking about the Messiah. They're speaking about God the Father. They're speaking about his glory. They're speaking about the Shekinah glory, uh, the worship and the praise of God. Verse 7. Then they were all amazed. Listen. Astounded is the best translation. And they were all amazed and they marveled. I mean, admiration was there. Saying to one another, look. And here's the key. Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Remember when Peter was in the courtyard? And Jesus is being tried. It was a mock trial. It was a kangaroo trial was done at night. The religious sect had no reason uh, to do this. They didn't follow protocol. They did it on their own. It sounds like our government today, right? And when they heard Peter speak, the little girl says, I know him. He's a Galilean. His speech gave him away. His speech gave him away. So listen to what's happening here. A crowd quickly gathers. They're all in amaze. In verse 7, Galileans were known as uncultured, unlearned. They were very poor speakers. This was all the more reason to be impressed with now their ability to speak eloquently and in other languages. One of my commentaries said this. Galileans had difficulty in speech, swallowing syllables when speaking, so they were looked down upon by people of Jerusalem as being street talk. Street talk. Again, the little girl, the maiden that was there, sees Peter. You're that Galilean. No, I'm not. Those were the three denials of Peter. His speech gave him away. I mean, I'm not coming down on, you know, different uh, cultures and such, but uh, trust me, I can tell when a Hispanic is speaking to me their background because it's still there. They grew up in the streets. They grew up in the barrio. I can hear it. You have any people from the south when they come talking? I mean, we're not making fun, but you know. Let's take it another step. You ever run into a hillbilly? And I mean it with, with love and compassion. You go, whoa, there's something wrong there. You know what amazes me? When you see these guys on television, you know they're from England, but they speak perfect English, our type of English. And then when they get in a talk show, their British accent comes out. I go, what's their problem? We're not accustomed to that. And so I want you to think of the people there. What is this? These are Galileans. These are simpletons, and I mean it with, with love and compassion. These are hillbillies, and I mean it with love and compassion. These are farmers. These are simple fishermen. They're speaking eloquent languages. <laughs> Notice now. 
it gives us about 17 or different dialects. Now, a lot of these we don't even know, but I want you to think in art terms of the languages that you know of, languages that maybe you've studied. You know, my wife took French way back in the day, and, you know, once in a while she'll pick up a few words in here and there, and, and uh, she goes, this is what it says, and all I can say is, ooh la la. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, but look at verse 8. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? I like that. We hear them speaking, that's what they're saying, in our own native language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, uh, Judea, Cappadocia, uh, Pontus, and Asia, uh, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jew and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues. And again, church, the wonderful works of God. What did they hear in these languages that I probably mispronounced most of them? They heard the praises of God in their language. They heard a prayer language speaking of God. And, and, and it just blew them away. But it's not over yet. So they were all amazed. And they were perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And we're going to get this next week. But what it means, Peter gets up, an unlearned man, a burly fisherman. Peter, we always kind of uh, put him in this position. I, I see Peter because I see myself. You see Peter because you see yourself. It seems like he always had his size 12 sandal in his mouth. That's Peter. Always saying was not supposed to be said, but isn't that us? But Peter's a different man. Peter goes out and he, and he ministers and he, he begins by telling them, uh, this is not, they're not drunk with wine, but this is the prophecy that was given in Joel and he's going to read it or he's going to dictate it in Joel chapter 2 verses 28 through 32. What could this mean? 800 years that prophecy was given. But notice it sets up the teaching for next week in verse 13. Others mocking. They're full of new wine. That's the best they could do. They're drunk with wine. This is a new work, church. Even now, the Spirit of God comes and He falls upon us. And you go back home, you go to your family. I thank God that on the day that I came to Saving Grace, so did my wife. I don't know what she would have put up with with me. And then I think, thank you, Lord, that she didn't get saved, and then I came later because I don't know if I would have come later. The hardness of our hearts. But something took place. Something took place. God's Spirit is the only one that can bring conviction. Listen, God's Spirit is the only one that can bring us to saving grace. And God's Spirit is the only one that can empower us. 
And there's so many gifts of the Holy Spirit. We go to the Corinthian letters, and then we go to the book of Romans, and then we go to the book of Ephesians. We approximately, I'm giving it approximately, we see 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit. But remember this, church, the speaking in tongues is the least of the gifts. The greatest gift is God empowers you with love, love and compassion and grace. There was times I would leave the prison and I would head home driving in my own vehicle and I'm laughing all the way. I said, Lord, are you crazy? What do you put me in there with all these crazy people? Well, because you're crazy, I'm going to put you in there with them. That's why. You're crazy with God's love. You're crazy with God's spirit. Those of you know that have worked with us when we do our Klein Park outreach, how it motivates you to want to be there, how it motivates you to want to help, how it motivates you to pass out the food and such. And we have people that support that, that are not even part of our church. But they love the work that we're doing. And they love to send the finances. And I rejoice over that. There's a couple that comes from California, and, and uh, they have uh, her, his wife's Cuban, and she has relatives in, in Cuba. And lo and behold, she snags two of our T-shirts every time. Now, we give them to her, but I'm saying she snags them, mails them to Cuba, and then she puts pictures. Hey, Pastor Bob, look at your T-shirt reached Cuba. And I say, hallelujah. That's what it's all about, church. That's what it's all about. We have people that are listening to the radio. I have people that call us or email us and say, Pastor Bob, you said this on the radio. Uh, which teaching is it? I don't know. Some of those teachings are five years old. But the Lord is still speaking to people because of his spirit. Because of his spirit. I remember years back, I'm listening to a CD. Oh, back even further. Let's take it back. It was a, a cassette. Some of you are shaking your head. Okay, and I'm listening, and Pastor Chuck is teaching, and I'm just excited receiving it. And then he mentions Jimmy Carter, and I said, Jimmy who? <laughs> the peanut man? Come on. He was, that was the time that he was giving the teaching. But it was so fresh. It was now. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so this morning, we're going to end in a word of prayer. And we're going to ask the Lord to pour out his spirit. But you have to be willing to say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for your precious word. Uh, the Bible says that your word will not come back void. And we thank you for the book of Acts. There's so much more uh, that we're going to cover. But we saw the evidence of the Holy Spirit fall. We saw how the 120 were speaking in different uh, glossolalias. We saw how uh, 17, 18 different dialects there that were mentioned. Luke writes them down for a reason. And they heard the wonderful works of God. It was a sign tongue to them. And we're going to see when Peter gives his first sermon. Over 3,000 come to saving grace. But I pray especially this morning. If there's anybody here and they've never received Christ, uh, today is the day of their salvation. All you need to do is cry out. 
The Holy Spirit's already convicted you. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to come in. And now you have an opportunity for the third preposition, and that is the AP experience. And right there as you're standing so beautifully. And the reason we're standing is because this is how we end in prayer. But you can ask the Spirit of God to come upon you. And so let's pray. Father, I, I pray for each and every one here that the power of God's Spirit would just come upon them, that the Holy Spirit would engulf them, that the Holy Spirit would fall upon uh, their top of their head and, and run through their whole body to the bottom of their feet. As we see in, in Psalm 133, as Aaron was filled to capacity, and so, Father, pour out your Spirit upon these here at Calvary Chapel, Las Cruces. And, Lord, pour out your Spirit on those that are going to be listening to the CD later. And those that will listen on the radio also, pour out your Spirit. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the gifts that you're going to give. We thank you, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit that is going to fall upon the church, Lord. And, Lord, we pray for the offerings this morning. That as you've given to us, we give back a portion. We ask you to bless the offerings. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying, Amen.